If you'll turn your Bibles to John chapter 6, as was mentioned, we're beginning a new series today. I am going to, in a moment, give you uh, the context, three contexts. The context for the series itself, and then the context for the teaching of Jesus today, and then the context for the very passage that uh, we will be dealing with. Let's bow together. Lord, we would ask that you would enable us in these few moments to focus upon you. We have sung of you. We have prayed to you. And now even as we pray to you, we ask for you to use your spirit in our hearts to teach us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When Helen Keller was 19 months old, she contracted an illness, as many of you know, that left her blind and deaf for life. I don't know if you've ever even tried to imagine that. But how do you ever get beyond that in terms of communication? And it was years before there was a breakthrough. She was 10 years old, and you may remember that her teacher, Ann Sullivan, spelled out water on her hand and enabled her to speak that, and that, that was such a breakthrough that it began this whole process of her, though she continued to be blind and deaf, to be able to speak and to communicate with others. Incredible. Well, it was her parents' desire that she also receive religious instruction. And so they arranged for her to meet with the Boston clergyman, Phillips Brooks, who you may have never heard his name, but you have sung the hymn attributed to him, O Little Town of Bethlehem. He met with her and began to instruct her in terms of, of Christ and, and the gospel. And then she said these remarkable words to him one day. I knew about God before you told me, but I just didn't know his name. I knew about God before you told me. I just didn't know his name. His name is essential. Now, in terms of looking at our uh, series that is before us, I'll give you the context. The context begins way back in Exodus. In Exodus, we see uh, Moses being designated by God to be used by him. 
he declares, I, I can't, I don't, you know, I don't know, I don't speak well, and so on, and God assures him. Moses is in the desert, and he sees a bush that is burning. As I reread that again this week, I thought of when I was a, a young boy, second, third, and fourth grade in El Paso, Texas. The desert is the greatest place in the world for little boys to play. There's all kinds of stuff out there. You never knew what you would see. I never saw a burning bush, and certainly what he saw was a bush that had fire in it. It was burning but not being consumed. And then it spoke as he interacted with God. He said, okay, well, when I go, who do I say sent me? You see, there were all kinds of gods back then. I've got to identify you. What's your name? I need to know your name so I can know your character. And his answer was this. I am who I am. To say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Now that's rather mysterious if you're anything like me. I, I uh, ever since I was first introduced to that in Cecil B. DeMille's The Ten Commandments, as many of you saw, I wondered, what in the world? Why would that be his name? Why say I am? Why I am that I am say that I am sent you? What sense would that make to them? Now again, it followed with the custom of the day. To know the character of this God. In giving that as his name, what he was uh, giving was uh, from the verb to be in the present tense. And here's what he was saying. He's eternal. From that time on and forever, I will be identified as the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But not only a God of the past, I am a God of the present. And I am in the present, in the future, as we speak. I am the eternal present, always with my people. This is how you'll identify me. Now, what we will see is, in this series, that Jesus, at crucial points in his ministry, uses that same phrase. He says, I am, and then he reveals some more of his character or work and every time he does, it causes an uproar because the people of that day understood who he was identifying himself with. This God who revealed himself in the Old Testament. To some, they followed. To others, they grumbled and walked away. 
but all had a reaction. And that's what this God demands. We cannot remain neutral. Now in terms of the context of this teaching itself, fast forward uh, from uh, the early part of Exodus to a later part of Exodus. We're not going through every book of the Bible, don't worry, for the context. But this one's necessary. After, the, uh, after all the plagues, after Pharaoh let his people go, they're in the wilderness. They're grumbling because their stomachs are grumbling. They're hungry. God feeds them with quail, but also with this thing called manna. A fine flake-like thing, it says in Exodus 16.13. Fine as frost on the ground. The people would go and they would gather. They were to gather only the amount for that day. There was always plenty for them. They couldn't store it up. They couldn't hoard it. They got enough for that day. But they ate and they were satisfied until they began grumbling again because they had so much manna. And that is our nature. Now, that account of manna that God provided for them, we're going to see it. it. It's foreshadowing something more. And we will see that Jesus refers to it because the people remembered it. Fast forward again to the ministry of Jesus. This is all still a backdrop. Jesus sees a large crowd. He says to Philip, where are we to, to buy bread for this crowd? 5,000 men plus women and children. 10, maybe 15,000, maybe more. A huge crowd. They're, they're out. There's not a, a store nearby. And Andrew says, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. What are they for so many? I don't know if you remember the missions conference last year. Dr. Frank Barker said they had two fish burgers and an extra piece of bread, basically. And that was it. But then he proceeded to feed all of them. And for there to be uh, 12 baskets full of bread left over. Again, the backdrop. Why did he do that? Well, you need to know that in, in the four Gospels, there's only two miracles that are recorded in all four of them. One is the resurrection of Christ, him dying and then walking out of the tomb alive. And the other is the feeding of the 5,000. All of them record it. Only one gives a motivation in the Gospel of Mark. It says, he had compassion. He looked at the crowd and he had compassion upon it. He met their immediate need. And then at the end of that, after they saw all the fragments, this is what it says. When the people saw the sign that he had done, in other words, the feeding of all these people, they said, this uh, is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Now that's a key. 
we see this miracle. It's a miracle not just so that they are wowed, but for a purpose, to attest to who Jesus was. He didn't do miracles just to amaze people. It was attesting to who He was and also to His teaching. And that's why this is all a backdrop. Because we see that He feeds 5,000 people. He multiplies the bread. While that is still the buzz, they're still talking about it, more people come because they hear about it. Then he says this. He's thinking about bread. Well, I am the bread. And that's what we will see with his, uh, the various I am statements. We will see a miracle that he then uh, captures. After the miracle, he bases teaching upon that spiritual teaching. Now, to the account. It's a lengthy passage. I'm going to read and comment on various uh, verses of it in John uh, 6. What we see is after the feeding, and uh, he perceived that they were going to make him king uh, by force, it says. I don't know how you do that, but that, he, he knew that's what they wanted to do. And so he withdrew. The other disciples get in their boats and they begin across the sea to Capernaum. And then, during that time, you know, Jesus hidden with them, they see Jesus walking across the water toward them. Interesting, in that passage in verse 20, about him walking across the water, they were frightened, but he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Let me tell you something. You know how else that it is I could be translated? You, you grammarians, you know this. I am. Don't be afraid. And then it says, uh, verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, where'd you come from? This is the, the crowd. Jesus answered, truly I say to you, you're seeking me not because you uh, saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Here he's, he's saying, look, yes, a, a lot of you are here because you, you want more bread. Or you want to see some big sign again. He said, don't work so hard for things that are <clears throat> at best going to be temporary for you. But there's something more. And that's what I want you to grasp here. It's not just about filling your belly again or doing something that satisfies you for the moment because that'll go away and you'll get hungry again and your stomach will growl again. But there's more. Verse 28, and then they said to him, what, what, what must we do to be doing the works of God? 
they ask, this is such an honest question, what must we do to be doing the works of God? How many of them were still stuck in a sense that we've got to do something in order to have some kind of a connection with God? I've told you over and over that that, that's our default mode. That's always what we will fall back on. Okay, you know, I don't know if God's pleased with me. What do I need to do to get on his good side? And so, of course they would ask this. Jesus answers it. By the way, this is the only place I know where we see him say, you want to do the work of God? Okay, here. Jesus answered them, verse 29, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Jesus gives them this pointed answer. You want to know what work of God you need to do? Okay, I'll tell you. Believe. We see elsewhere in the scripture that, and elsewhere even with this, the only way you believe is God gives you the gift of faith. It's not a work in, in the sense that we typically think of work so they said to him verse 30 then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you what work do you perform our fathers ate manna there it is there's the backdrop our fathers ate manna in the wilderness as it is written he gave them bread from heaven to eat he says believe they want a sign. They thought they were properly interpreting their own history, and they brought up the manna from the wilderness, and they said, okay, well, look, you know, God gave a sign back then, so come on, give us a sign. Now, uh, how ironic is that? He just has fed, uh, you know, 10, 15,000 people, and now they want a sign, you know but that shows you that signs will never satisfy. Miracles are not what satisfies. They just point to that which satisfies. Verse 32, Jesus said to them, and what he's going to do here is, they thought they were properly interpreting their history. He's going to properly interpret here. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus is saying, let me tell you what's really happening. When he sent the manna, it, it wasn't just to feed the people in that day, though it was for that, but it was looking forward to a manna that he was going to send. And let me tell you about this other manna that he has sent. It's not like you have to gather it every day. In fact, this new manna, the, the other manna was just for one nation. This manna is for all nations. 
that manna only delayed physical death, filled up your belly. This manna conquers spiritual death. And then they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Verse 34. Their response, well, that's what we want. See, he's brought them along. It's not just about filling our belly. That's what we want. We want this better bread. And then Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And then on down in verse 40, everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. I'll raise him up in the last day. There it is. Jesus tells them. And so the response. The Jews grumbled about him. That's the response. Because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Look, I, I want to at least give them this credit. They understood what he was saying. They understood how radical this claim was to say that I am, I am the very thing that He is sending you for eternal life. They understood He was claiming in this to be God. They said, you know, we, 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 don't, we don't get this. We know His mom and daddy. That's what they say basically there. And then he says, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give uh, for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, I, I would encourage you to read that this whole passage. I've had to jump around, but he later then says this. Because he's talking about uh, believing, and the question is, well, what really is he saying with believing? And he, he says this, and it is, it's so different that it would be so striking to them, and it should be to us as well. He says in verse 54, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Now here's the question. What? Why does he say that? Well, if you've been in the church any length of time, it's possible you might say, well, that sounds like communion. Maybe he's referring to the Lord's Supper. I don't think so. He had not mentioned anything about that to his disciples. It would be strange for him at this point to be, begin teaching about the Lord's Supper, but where they are connected, and I would say the Lord's Supper actually refers back to this instead. 
where they are connected is I think here he's referring to the kind of death he would die, but then he is, he is emphasizing to them what it means to really believe. And he's using something that they understand because he knows they understand about eating. <clears throat> That's why some of them were there. To get more bread. He says, okay, you're, you're interested in eating. Here's what you need to do. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, what, what in the world is he saying? Well, let me, let me just give you several ways we say similar things of what I believe he means here. I need to digest what you just said to me. I'm having a hard time swallowing that. Well, that's food for thought. I need to chew on that. I really devoured that book. See, we use all of those kinds of phrases. What are, what are we saying? Pardon me, I devoured that book. I ate it up. You know, that wouldn't be an unusual thing to, to say. What Jesus is saying is it's not just about tasting some bread. But look, you're going to see that I'm one that goes to the cross for you. And I die a death. And you will see flesh and you will see blood. And what believing means is being all in with that. And identifying with that. Not just wanting me because I can give you a morsel of bread. Not just wanting me for what I can do for you. But real belief goes deeper. It's not just believing stuff about Him. It's believing Him. He doesn't give us bread. He is the bread that we need. How can I afford that? How can I ever live up to that? Some would say. Quit trying to pay for this bread. It's a gift from God. Isaiah put it this way. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. See the irony? You have no money? Come on, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? And he still says, come. Eat of this one who says, I am the bread of life. And then live forever. Let's bow together. Lord, we try to pay in so many different ways. Will you help us to be freed from that? To know that this is a gift from you.
It's an offer from you. It was to them. It is to us. And will you help us know, Lord, that we, we just simply cannot remain neutral with this. We cannot be apathetic about it. It's all in or it's not in at all. And so, Lord, we come to you. Open our hearts. Give us faith to believe and to trust. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.